Hey, Michael Waltrip here. Another edition of Waltrip Unfiltered is my podcast. It's something that I've enjoyed immensely uh, over the last couple of years. Producer Ford does a nice job putting these helmets and all this art and, and stuff into the scene. But today, the real scene is my guest, Ron Caps, NHRA champion. I don't know how many races he's won, but more than me, I think 50. Amazing spirit, amazing character. I can't wait for all you guys to check out my friend, Mr. Napa Know How. We go way back. Yeah. Stay tuned to Walter Bunfield. Well, hello, buddy. I haven't seen you in a long time. It's good to see you. How you been? I'm good. Really good, man. I love the show, and I was kind of... Uh kind of waiting for that, that phone call from Michael to maybe give me a chance to get on the unfiltered, but I think it's perfect for you. Unfiltered. Uh, I've been around you a lot unfiltered back in the day. And ironically, my social media career started because of you. You trained me when all this Twitter and Instagram and Facebook stuff came out. You were the guy that kind of showed me the rope. So it's pretty funny now that uh, we're all doing this for a living. Yeah. You know what I love about you? You, you seriously, and I don't know if, Martin was the same way. Our friend, you know, the, the, the NASCAR Hall of Famer that drove for me, he's like, nah, I don't know about that Twitter. I, ain't, I don't think, I don't like that. And I, I said, no, Mark, we got to embrace it. We have to. And, and what I, my favorite memory about Ron Caps, and there's so many things I want to go over, but you, you were like this crazy, full throttle, wide open drag racer, but yet kind of shy and reserved. Is that fair? You know, like 10 yeah. years ago when we, when we kind of started hanging out, you were- Absolutely. I was thrown to the wolves. <laughs> we signed with Napa and it was a month in and they said, all right, you're going to go shoot this national commercial with Michael Waltrip. And then we got the scripts. Remember, you know, you get the scripts every year. And I read it. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be heaven. And so, yeah, I was, I, I'm pretty shy usually anyway. You know, we, we were kind of trained, as you know, to not be at the track and you kind of come out of your shell with our fans, but really in real life, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty concealed and pretty, pretty shy. Well, you played the role perfectly. I, I, I remember, you know, me saying, okay, we're, we're going to be fakers. We're going to fake this, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to live it up. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's acting, but, but <laughs> that, that also to me was something that you really, you loved, you wanted to show people your other side and, and man, it was so fun doing those commercials with you. Yeah, it was, for me, it was cool because I got to play this goofy sidekick in a couple of the commercials <laughs> from you. I mean, we did the one where we did the slap in the hands and the reaction, and the scripts were just so much fun. I mean, they made it a blast, but I'd already seen what you and Junior, and you guys had Sammy Hagar in one of the Napa know-how ones, and just every year, I, every fan, every racer couldn't wait to see what you guys were going to come up with, with you at the wrong racetrack. I mean, it was so much fun to see uh, they weren't afraid to make fun of themselves, and that is you. When I met you, it, you seem like you're that way, but uh, once you meet Michael Waltrip, you are that way. So it was a natural, and it was fun, man. You just, uh, you know, I'll never forget that first probably two weeks of shooting. I was overwhelmed, and you sort of took me under your wing, and, um, you know, it, and your, your PR person, Tracy, getting me hooked up on Twitter, just like you said, I was not going to do it. I said, nobody wants to know when I'm going to go take a – go to the bathroom or what I'm going to, what do they care what we do? Right. 
sure enough, here I am telling people every minute of my day. Yeah, well, it's been, and I, I have to ask this question because you, you've raced professionally for over 20 years. Um, but to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and I, I really want to hear your opinion of this. To me, when you got the, the Napa sponsorship and, and the success that came along with obviously the speed and, but, but you couple the, I always tell people racing is, it has two parallel tracks. It's competition, which we thrive for, we love, and it's entertainment. You know, we're doing both. We're, we're, we're beating people and we're trying to make people smile. But it seems to me when you, when you, Ron, got the Napa sponsorship and the success you had, you really, you really flourished. Like you've been not only the racer, but entertaining and fun, just like some of your counterparts in the NHRA that, that seem to have a good time. Yeah, um, you might be thinking of John Forrest, and you remind me of John Forrest. You always have, and so I, I took a lot of notes, and I'm good at shutting my mouth and taking notes when I'm around something I'm not comfortable with. And John Forrest is always good about sort of teaching me, even though we raced each other and we still do. And you were the same way. And I just took a lot of notes on how you handled, uh, you know, our sponsor people back then, and how you handled people in general, and just fun to be around. It, you know, it goes back further than that. I, I'm not sure you remember, but when I drove for Don the Snake for Dome for nine years, uh, we met up with you guys for dinner way back in the day. I remember meeting up with Paul Tracy at one time. Yeah. We went to Dale's Senior's shop one day and hung out. And, and just those moments where I tagged along with Don Perdome and got to really hang out with a lot of the NASCAR side, um, I learned a lot. And I just sort of took a lot of mental notes. But when the Napa thing did happen, I kind of watched what you were doing. I mean, you were just, people loved you. And they just, uh, so I, I just, I tried to carry that on. And I, I just love taking a piece of people that I meet and learning from what they do to make them successful, what they're doing. You know what I, I love? You mentioned two of my favorite people in the world, Don Perdome, um, who called me, like I was a kid with snake and mongoose, you know, you matchbox, you yeah. the Hot Wheels, that was, and he called me, he, he watched my documentary, I guess, last a year ago. And he called me and said, I just want you to know, he touched my heart. And, you know, that, that meant the world to me. And then our friend, John Force, you've been blessed to not, you know, I, I know you, the Schumachers, I mean, you've had so many wonderful influences, but to have the history you have with, with uh, the snake and then also you know, what you've been able to learn and, and, and pull from John Force. Those are probably, those are some big influences in, in your life and your career. Yeah, I started off at Top Fuel, Dragster. So you got to remember that. And Force, of course, he's been Mr. Funny Car. And he was just destroying people. He was clinching championships in the summer. And that's pretty much why we had, a, we went to a playoffs with our countdown to the championship. He was just the 80s and the 90s, he was unbelievable. So when I was a top field dragster, uh, you know, he took me and I started, to me, he was Elvis. You know, he was all, he was he rock star. So when he sort of took me and, and took me out to dinner with some of the sponsors and took me out to have a couple beers afterwards and hanging out with the fans and things like that, I, I, uh, I loved it, but I wasn't having to race against him. And I was actually going to be his first pick to be his first team car back then, which it ended up going another route. 
And, and the way it ended up was I ended up driving for Don the Snake for Dome. So everything worked out perfect, but I was almost going to be John Force's first team car back in the day. And him and I are still, he's probably still my best friend, probably my closest friend on the tour. And he leaves messages at the house and forgets that it's not my cell phone and my family gets a kick out of it sometimes. And he'll call in the middle of the night. Uh, he's, he's pretty much what you see on TV. People ask me all the time. I mean, is he really like that? Yeah, he is. But I, uh, I learned a lot from him as well. And that was really why the fans loved him. And I just paid attention to that. And then when he got in a race car, man, look out. I mean, I, the tiger, there was, there was no goofing around. He would rip your heart out the starting line. And last year, I mean, the guy's close to 70 years old, and he beat me on a whole shot uh, on national television on one of our biggest races. And you just, for a minute, you start to think, well, maybe we got this guy. Nope. Uh, he'll, he'll give you a lesson even at almost 70 years old. And, and to me, that's incredible. Um, we've, we both were sponsored by Peak Antifreeze. Um, and I have the best memory. So I, I'm known for telling stupid jokes. And so I'm going to try this joke on you and I want to see what you think because <laughs> I'll, then I'll tell you what John thought. So um, do you know why you can't tell a dog a knock-knock joke? Not why. Okay. I'm a dog. Try it. Knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't. So I told John that, that joke, and he's like, Michael, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so uh, that, that's our history. But I, I want to go back to something you just said. Beat you on a hole shot at 70 years old. Now, for people that are just casual motorsports fans that are watching Walter Uncultured, when you when you do that, you're zero to 200 in like two tenths of a second or something unbelievable. How 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 can you explain what that's like? And, and how much appreciation you have for John Force. Uh, because you ain't no spring chicken there, Ron. <laughs> you're, you're getting on up there. Uh, yeah, I'm catching him on. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's a whole staging process when people, you know, they've talked about the Christmas tree that we have. And what I love racing the Prelude and being around my, my NASCAR friends was you guys always want to know, what, what do you do in that car before you step on the gas? Like, what exactly do you got going on? And, you know, I'll get a circle of people around. I start to explain it because everybody's so, you know, as race car drivers, you wonder what somebody else does in a race car, or what their thought process is. But really, you have these two beams, and it's a pre-stage and a stage, and you better be ready when the stage comes on, and you've got about six inches you roll for this stage light. Well, you've got to turn the fuel and do a couple little things. But that moment, and you have a handbrake, and you sit in the car much like a sprint car. You sit up high, so you have a handbrake, and at your right foot, is 13, close to 13,000 horsepower. Okay, so imagine, and you get used to these cars somewhat, but you know what's coming. And what's coming's not gonna be, it's fun, but when it first happens, there's nothing good about it. Like, you don't know if the world's flying apart when you hit the gas, it's unbelievably loud, it's scary, there's stuff flying around. But when you mash the pedal, I mean, close to 13,000 horsepower, we're shot from a standing stop, zero to 100 miles per hour, in less than one second 
at over six G's. Okay, and then last year we went 339 miles per hour in less than a quarter mile. Now we go a thousand feet. So when you're staging it, you're in your car and you're looking at this light and everything is on that handbrake and your right foot because when that when that light blinks, that yellow light comes on, you don't wait for the green. You mash the pedal as quick and hard as you can and let go of the brake at the same time. So there's a guy over in the other lane or a girl doing the same thing and they're trying to rip your heart out and you're trying to beat them off the line. And it, so to have a guy like John Forrest, he, he is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, uh, there's little processes, there's deep stage and little things that can make your reaction time look better at times, but it can also throw somebody off. You can make the light blink if you're really good. And if you make the other person's light blink or get them distracted, it can throw somebody into a red light and take it off early. There's a lot could go on, but he's very good at, at that. Cerebral, just everything. He may, not, he may not be the quickest, but he knows how to get in your head and he knows what he can do to be the first off the line if he's not feeling like he is the quickest physically. And I, there's different words people come up, some I can't say, but he, he is a guy that you have to be on your game. You ask anybody, there's a time or two when he's gone up there and made you feel like your pants are at your ankles in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And it's your job to do what you do. And yet he made you look foolish and he has ways of still doing that. And then the other end will get out with his big old teeth and smile like a truck driver. And it makes it even worse, you know? So uh, you gotta love the guy for that. Well, I wanna, and because I love drag, let me tell you my, my drag racing experience. In 19... <laughs> I was there for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't good. Okay, well, not that one then. Let's go back to the other one. Okay, the in, other one's in good. In 1991, I, um, I went to Frank Holly's drag racing school, and I ran a top alcohol dragster. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because I ran 201 miles an hour in the quarter mile, which I thought was really cool. You know, I got yeah. over 200. Yeah. But here's the deal. I got up. I had my handbrake or whatever side, I get up there and the, 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 the tree starts counting down. And when it, when it hit green, I'm like, okay, I can go now. But I wasn't ready yet. So right. my reaction time was like four seconds, but I was happy that I did it and it was really cool. But explain to me and the listeners, you're, you're gonna jump down on 13,000 horsepower. Okay, no one understands that. It's the equivalent of getting on a rocket. Like they can't fathom it. But explain to me how um, a 70 year old man like John Force can intimidate a 55 year old man like Ron Caps. And then there's a 21 year old lady that can match what you do as well. What, how, how, that's so, that seems, like there's no 70 year olds playing in the NBA, like it, but it seems like it's that amazing that he's, that, that there's that diverse of, of age groups and, and people that can do your job. It's special. Yeah, it is. And how to explain it. Uh, he lives that car. Uh, as do I, I mean, I, I've tried to imagine not, physically being able to drive that funny car, especially when I, you know, I get to the track and get in there to warm the car up or get ready for a run. And I think I, I would be so empty in life if I wasn't able to do this. 
I just loved, you know, you remember when you would get in that car, you get that smell, it had the old sweat in it, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden you come back home, right? You, you feel like you're at home. That's John Forrest in a funny car. He is, he is Mr. Funny Car and that's his home. And he's talked about it before. He would be a lost puppy without it. So he, he, he grew up doing that and he just loves every bit of it. And he's, he's studied everything. He's tried everything on anybody. And to your question, you get a grill, like we have some of these unbelievable drivers in drag racing that are women. And uh, the Forrest girls are great examples. You know, Alexis DeJore is another great example. These girls get up there and whoop you and then get out the other end and take their helmet off. And it's a beautiful girl over there doing an interview that just got done beating you. <laughs> and I, I, I think over the years, honestly, I think women at times seem like they have better uh, – they have better, uh, they have figured out how to stay calm when, when our heart rate may go up a little bit more. They stay focused, it seems like at times. And uh, Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Yeah, I wonder the same thing. I mean, we get these kids that will come up, and that's the reason I get up, I work out, I stay on top of what I can do every day is to try to be ready for these new drivers and trying to knock you off that pedestal. And I, I don't I don't know how some of them do them. Some of them don't even think about it. These kids come out of these junior dragsters just like the NASCAR kids being groomed now. I mean, they're 13, 14 years old, and you throw them in a, a cup car, and they go out there and run with as quick as anybody else. It's, it's crazy sometimes, and I don't think they even know – what's going on until it hits them later on. And, and then when you think about the 2020 season and, you know, you started off, you had a couple of races and then we, we, um, we all had to take a step back because of COVID and now NHRA like NASCAR has found a way back. How, if you could just summarize your, your thoughts on 2020, and where you are as we're heading to the to the to the new the US nationals. Like this is this is like the biggest weekend of the year. Yeah, we were on our way to Gainesville when when this all went down. And I went into Michael Waltrip mode on the plane ride home. Honest to God, 
I started thinking to myself, okay, this, if they start canceling stuff, how am I going to keep my job? First of all. Right. So I started going into the desperate mode. Like what, you know, what would Michael, what would John Ford, what are these guys doing? How can I take care of my sponsors? And that was my first and foremost thing. Honest to God was what can I do? You know, I was sending emails to, to DCs and jobbers with Napa. Hey, if you need anything, can I help with anything? If you're staying open, you're essential. How can I help? Because obviously I couldn't go and do the old, Hey, I'll come down to your store and do a grand opening, uh, like normal. And that's how we would always help. And, uh, so I was thinking in my head, laying in bed, not sleeping, thinking, what could I do? And a lot of it just turned to what is basically going on now, what ended up being with the iRacing. I was already big time into iRacing. Um, so the fact that all of a sudden iRacing became the thing, I thought, okay, I'm ready for that. So I can be part of that and get a Napa painted car and get Pennzoil and get our sponsors on there. Um, and little things like that, hoping that our sponsors would look and say, okay, you know, we're for furloughing people. We're doing this, we're doing that, but he's still working hard. So that was my first thing. And, that, and then, you know, waiting to see if NASCAR was really going to do what they talked about doing because they were ahead of everybody else. And that was get back to it. Unfortunately, NASCAR and NHRA are different in that we need fans to be there and we weren't going to do it without fans, whatever that percent was. So once NASCAR started going back and we were able to have our first race in Indy at 25% capacity, that helped and they got us going and now we have i think eight races left that, that look like we're going to be able to run so it was survival mode honestly michael i just uh the cool thing was logging on to iRacing every day i mean nobody had anywhere to go so i would get these messages in the morning to run a sprint car and i'd be running side by side with the best of the sprint cars and then we'd have a race later on and i'd log in and there'd be uh uh tony Kanon and every NASCAR driver's in the room and I was able to kind of talk with all these people. I, I usually see whoops, at appearances or sponsor events that I, all of a sudden I'm in an iRacing green room getting ready to go into this race. And all these other racers are doing the same thing. We had nothing else to do. And that was like the only thing we were able to go keep our skills up a little bit. So that, that probably saved, I know it's probably saved my marriage <laughs> through all of that. Cause I'm out in the garage on my simulator and my wife was like, thank God he's got, thank God he's got here. somewhere to go. <laughs> yeah. so, but really that, that was kind of it for me. And uh, I just couldn't wait to get back in the funny car. I have, I like you tell such great stories. I have a bunch of questions. I'm going to ask them. You answer them real quickly. Um, do you simulate drag racing while you're off is, do you have all that tree stuff? Do you do that? I do have a cage that my guys built me an actual cage that cut off the front and I have a real tree that, they sent me and I'll get in there and make noises in my helmet and brrr. but I do practice that and then we have a little tester that we can practice with a small Christmas tree but that's the extent of it because you can't practice the six G's and you can't practice 13,000 horsepower and all that craziness that goes with it yeah real tree do you put on camouflage when you do it or is it just <laughs> it is a real tree I'm confused <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no my, because of all the things you said, I, I want to know more about other things. Um, the iRacing, were you any good at it? Could you race Denny Hamlin and beat him? I raced with him and all those guys. Honestly, I'd been involved since iRacing started. I've always been a gamer. I actually went to college for software engineering. And when games first started kind of coming about the early NASCAR, uh, remember the early NASCAR computer games? I mean, I was so involved with all that back then. So 
I wasn't on I racing a lot, even though I was with them and part, and I'm still part of their membership. But I go back to like 2009 with them. I just watched it grow. So when all these other guys jumped in, like Denny Hamlin and, you know, everybody that was William Byron and all these guys that were doing it all the time, I was mid-pack. And then I needed to start practicing. And then I jump in these World Outlaw sprint car races, and you soon learn why I'm not a World Outlaws driver for a living. I and mean, these guys are really good at what they do. And then you run the road races with a lot of the same NASCAR guys. So, yeah, I wasn't as good as some of those other guys, but uh, did a lot of practicing. Yeah. I uh, I actually golfed with Larson earlier today, and, and his – dirt racing summer has been incredible. I don't know how much you fought along with all the, like. I followed a lot, yeah, it's uh, awesome. Like, all the wins. And he's going to Pennsylvania to race dirt late models. And yeah. he said, I, I never done that. So I think one of the most, like I'm looking forward to Daytona Saturday night, but I'm also, I can't wait to see how Larson does in his, you know, with his dirt skills in a, in a late model, different discipline. It would be, I guess it would be somewhat like you jumping into a pro stock or a, you know, a top fuel. You're a, probably pro you're stock. A, That's pretty different. And isn't that? Well, you remember the, the Prelude, those cars were, I mean, everybody that showed up, they were such a weird car to drive. You push the clutch in to, to start the car moving, which blew yeah. me away. And I never did get used to that, <laughs> but it was so weird that they said to take off, you actually push the clutch in. And when you get out there, don't let up. If you let up, the car will go to the right and hit the fence. And you're like, well, wait a second. That makes so, no sense. No, it makes zero sense. So I'm so <laughs> Kyle, uh, he, he's the reason I bought two more streaming streaming services to watch him in sprint cars all over the country. And I bought and paid memberships for these so I could watch him live. So yeah, Michael, I've been following. It's crazy to watch, fun to watch, but uh, I'm with you, man. I can't wait to watch him this weekend. Hey, I got a fan question. And, and, the reason why I'm asking you this fan question first is because it, it resonated with me. Um, when you go listen to this, Ron, I'm going to, I'm going to take this question. And I'm going to break it down the way I see it. When you go from zero to 200 in one second, and then you top out at three thirty, well, you got to stop somewhere is, is, like the thrill is hitting the gas, but it's got to feel pretty good stopping. Like that's got to be kind of crazy, doesn't it? It feels great. <laughs> You're, you are so relieved. I'll tell you this. Honestly, I'm going to tell you. Just you and I talking here, right? Nobody yeah. else. No. Four. <laughs> Go away. All right. We don't get to, we, yeah, we don't enjoy the run. I, we don't enjoy the actual run. It was, it's so crazy and it's just so much going on in that short amount of time. And your job is to keep this car in the middle of the groove and the groove is the rubber, which is not a very wide bunch of rubber that all these other cars have made runs on. So this groove that you're, you're paid to do to manhandle this car and keep it in the center when a car doesn't want to go straight, you don't enjoy any part of it because you know, the owners back there, your crew chief, your nine guys that worked on it, put it together. And they've given you this great race car and said, don't mess it up. So I, we don't enjoy the run. We feel like we're in more control than we really are, Michael. Honest to God, we're really not in as much control as we feel like we are because we just aren't. But when I hit that button and that shoot hits or both shoots hit, it's like negative nine Gs. But it's the best feeling in the world because I've had it where my shoots didn't open and I went into the sand and the net at the end. And I was trapped in the car, but it's scared 
the daylights out of me. I thought that was the end for me. So a lot of times you forget about stopping. And these people, we stopped going to quarter mile, right? Because we had Scott Coletta was killed several years ago. And now we only go to a thousand foot tracks. But a lot of these hardcore race fans, they hate it and they want quarter mile back. But we, we don't have these tracks with long shutdowns. So we try to explain it to them. It's like, I try to explain to them, it's like shooting astronauts up into space and not having a plan to get them back to earth, right? That's the scary part. But when those shoots come out, I'm telling you, it is the best feeling. I used to tell people it's like flying into that little regional airport on a little 10 passenger <laughs> prop plane and it's bad weather and you think it's not going to land and it lands and you want to get out and you want to kiss the ground when you get out of the plane. That's what every run feels like when the shoot comes out. I mean, it's a great feeling. So it's, help me, because I don't know this, it's six Gs leaving and nine stopping? It's actually about four and a half to five when we hit the gas. It actually goes up about a second to two seconds in the run when the clutch comes in. It, believe it or not, the G-forces actually go higher two seconds into the run when the clutch comes in, and it freaks your brain out. Your brain cannot comprehend you're being moved so fast and so hard and the g-forces are being pushed back and in your brain you're thinking how is this how are these tires sticking to the ground so the g-forces go up to about six six and a half and then when you hit the shoots it's negative eight to negative ten if both shoots hit at the same time which they do a lot of the times so i mean guys like don garlitz big daddy joe amato you you know joe they've had their retinas detached on the back of their eyeballs and that's the reason they had to retire so back in the day, they drove into the parachutes. And so every time the shoots would hit, it would tear the retinas off the back of their eye, little by little. And their doctors told them, you're going to have to retire. You're going to be blind. So a lot of safety stuff now. We have all the Hans and head and neck and stuff. But uh, it's a pretty big hit when the shoots pop. So I don't want to get too much into details, but this shit is so interesting to me. <laughs> Can you, you mad, and we're talking and I, this is why it's so great. We're talking zero to 201. Can you, can you then feel cognitively it getting harder? Like is, or is it just oh, yeah. all one, all one thing? Yeah. Uh, it's like the early Battlestar Galactica movies when they would hit hyperspace and it would go, you know, the space movies and they'd make those lines in the movies. It's literally like that because all of a sudden things just go to a blur except that one tiny little point of where you're looking and everything else becomes a blur and all of a sudden you're being, you know, you feel like this astronaut being shot into space. But what the trick is and what I learned from John Force and these guys that are good was on race day when it shakes the tires or loses traction, the good drivers can catch it sooner than other drivers. And you're talking these big Goodyear tires and when they start to spin, it's hard to catch them, right? So you've got to be able to pedal it. You've heard me talk about pedal. You've got to give it a cut, 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 and real quick, and it resets the tire catches if you do it quick enough. And you got to remember the throttle from idle to full throttle is only about that much. That's the only throw I have from idle to full throttle of 13,000 horsepower. So there's not a lot of play or not a lot of movement I get to play around with and kind of feather it. There's no feathering, really. At times you do it, and you don't even know you're doing it. I'll, I'll, I'll get back and the crew chief will pull the data up. And he'll go, man, you did a good job of catching it and rolling into it and feathering it. And you're like, I didn't even know I did it. Like yeah. you just, your brain does it. And the next thing you know, you're at the finish line. Well, 
that world, I think, I just feel like that people don't understand that world. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad you gave me a little peek into it. Um, you're friends with Tony Stewart and you talked about the prelude and getting to run a little dirt. Uh, you've done drag racing, eye racing and, and dirt racing. How do you enjoy the other disciplines as much as you do your craft? You know, I, I would certainly love, I love dirt racing. It's not anything I ever did, but when I get a chance to do it, it's fun. Yeah, I, God, I love it. Um, before the, the prelude started, we, we ran around, did some races in Missouri and some other places, dirt late models. I got to drive one of Tony Stewart's outlaw cars one night. Um, so I loved, I wish I could do it more. Um, the preludes were so much fun and I got to do it every year, but I was in so far over my head. Every time you go into turn one or turn three and you're on this high bank half mile, one of the most famous dirt tracks in the country and you're surrounded by Jimmy Johnson's and Kyle Bush's and Clint Boyer's. And to do good there, you have to mat it, keep it pinned. And your brain tells you to get out and, and roll back into it. And I did sometimes, but every race I would get out and tell somebody there going, I am so far over my head. It's amazing that I was able to hold it together out there, but that's part of what makes it so cool. And uh, I wish I could do the dirt racing more. It, it was a fun, I look forward to it every year. Um, I would go practice sometimes, sometimes not, but I just couldn't wait mainly because you would get there and I'd get to see the NASCAR drivers, IndyCar, whoever would show up with smiles and having a good time. And most of the time we do stuff like I did with you and other NASCAR drivers, we were working, you know I mean? We were doing autographs, we were meeting fans and doing stuff, but it was, it was stuff where you kind of had, you know, somewhat had to keep a straight face every NASCAR driver there, everybody involved were so happy to be there and so how much, so much fun. It was just a good time with everybody. So yeah, I miss that big time. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think we got to get back together. And by the way, has yeah. your friend Tony Stewart called you about his new racing series that he's got no, going I, on because he like hasn't Michael called Walter. me yet. It, it's like the Michael Wall. I know I saw that, <laughs> <laughs> but every time they make an announcement, I'm like, who is next? uh it's not me and you yet right oh no i mean i got some good names i'd love to, i'd love to see rusty wallace back in there with his elbows up going at it you would be great we got it it's going to be so much fun to watch no matter who they get in there and already every time they, they announce somebody um you're like yep i mean paul tracy's gonna be awesome um tony Kanan, all those guys so everham and him and those building those cars you know they're gonna do it right it's gonna be a fun thing to watch on a on a saturday night in the middle of summer yeah, do you follow Paul Tracy along on his oh, yeah. Instagram? Yeah. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, he does. We I love gotta, Johnny Manziel in his hot tub, <laughs> and he didn't even know who it was. <laughs> we got to get John. We got to get Paul Tracy into the yeah. uh, Tony Stewart racing for sure. He's in. He's definitely in. Yeah, he's in. They announced. So it's him, just yeah. you and I that aren't. Yeah, well, you're gonna go way before I do, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll come but, uh, clean your helmet. How's that? You get in, and I will come be your your grunt, and I'll okay I'll I'll, around and you can keep coach. your visor all clean and the anti fogged up and coach me. Yeah, <laughs> put me in, coach. Um, <laughs> it's been so much fun. How how's the wife and kids? I know one's graduating from college and one from like I think of I think of Ron Caps, and I know he's a great family man, but. I just wonder what it's like. What do they think about you still at your advanced age, getting in that funny car and matting the gas and doing what you do? Uh, they, I mean, they love, 
you know, <laughs> of course, my son, he loves a dad that races and he loves going to the races. And uh, yeah, I love it. My daughter, actually, I sent her to the driving school and she got her super comp dragster license a couple years ago and she wanted to follow John Force's daughters. And uh, I told her, you got to finish college first. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I, they're probably tired of me through this COVID thing. They want me back out of the house. I, I was always traveling before and I'm sure they loved having me home in the beginning. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's great that I have more time at home through this, but I, I'm so looking forward to get back on the road. But I've had time I never would have had with the kids had we been going full full bore in our season. So got to do a lot of cool things. Went to my daughter's college the other day into her classroom and little things like that I never would have got to do. So there's pluses here and there. Yeah, there are that. What, what's your hat say? I can't see. Uh, March paint. It's the um, the nostalgia race I do every year up in Bakersfield. It's like one of the oldest, you know, they got the old gassers and fuel alters and front engine rails and it's a, there's a whole scene of, of vintage nostalgia drag racing. It's so incredibly big. And I won it for the first time. And this is a race I went to as a kid, Michael. I mean, this is, I don't know for you what that would be, if it would be uh, Nashville. Nashville. See, so the memories, all these things of my dad racing there and, and just hanging out. And this race has become over 60 something years old. And I finally got to win it in a fuel altered this last year in March. And uh, so, anyway, that's one of my coolest favorite hats. I see your trophy. I wore my favorite hat for your show. How's that? <laughs> I see your trophy over your uh, right shoulder there uh, from a win. Yeah. Where's the, uh, where's your hat, your trophy from that big win? Uh, it's in the other room and it's an old school looking cool wooden trophy. It looks like an old Bonneville trophy. It's got an old dragster from the fifties and uh, it's not heavy, but you look at it and you're like, man, just think of the history of the guys and gals and people have won that trophy. So it's got a lot. It's actually in the center of my mantle. I put, I moved all the other <laughs> wallies out of the way and I shoved it right in the middle. So every day I walk happy, in. Why that makes me happy is I know you grew up going to dirt races with your dad and just any, anything that you can tie back to, you know, growing up, that, that's got to be special to have that trophy. I mean, you have so many trophies, but where do you put 50 NHRA trophies around? Michael, it's 65, but who's counting? Um, I wrapped some, it off. Listen, you know how embarrassing it is? If, if I walked you around the house, I actually have some that are door, <laughs> holding some of the doors open. <laughs> I've got some around the corner in the, the game room. Part of COVID has allowed me to go through all my storage of all the stuff the fans have given me, and our front room is a mess. But I have trophies everywhere. I've I actually walked in the kids' room and said, can we put this somewhere in here? I just got no room for it. So <laughs> I thought I would never have one, and now I'm nonchalantly putting them down, holding As the door, door open here and there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, here's what I'm going to do, because I, 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 I have this – like, I'm not a tech guy, but I got – give me a peace sign. I'm going to take a picture of you, uh, and then I'm going to send it to you. And the next time they have that nostalgia race, like, I'd like to try. Yeah, you'd love it. I'd come and look at cars and be happy at least. Well, Z-Max, they bring some gassers out. So you got to come out the next Z-Max. And uh, they have this whole bunch of gassers come out with the old, their wives out there backing up in little tiny shorts, like go-go boots <laughs> like the old days. So it's kind of it's kind of throwback, and it's fun to watch, especially those old Anglias and Corvettes and you know, old straight axle 57 Chevys, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it, it 
you know, I go over a year and Don Perdome's there right at the starting line, just standing there like, you know, he lived it. He was it. But yeah. he's up there enjoying it. And if a guy like that enjoys it, I enjoy it. Yeah, that Napa Toyota got away from me that day at Z-Max, though. I, got, <laughs> I need to redeem myself. Yeah, a little too much camber <laughs> in it, that's all. <laughs> uh, buddy, I've had the best time ever. That's why I love so much about this podcast is, you know, you and I would talk about dumb if we just called each other. But, you know, we got – we got to talk about some fun things and um, congratulations on all you've accomplished. So happy that the, the kids are doing well. And um, I just appreciate spending some time with you. Well, thank you. Uh, the show's great. I love it. It's about time you got this show. It is so you. And uh, I know a lot of people I know love. I can't wait to see who you have next week. So enjoyed it. Thank you. I got a little tip for you. A little uh, heads up. My friend Bubba Wallace is going to come and be on our show next week. So wow. um, he's as fun as you are, and I can't wait to, to hang out with him too. He's got big news. Yeah, and there's a lot going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe <laughs> he'll tell us. Yeah, we'll tune in. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. You got it, man. Wow, that was so much fun. Thank you so much, Ron Caps, for joining me, talking about the good old times with Napa know-how and all the – crazy experiences that we've enjoyed over the years, whether it's NASCAR or NHRA, Ron Caps is as good as it gets. So um, appreciate you watching Waltrip Unfiltered. Thank you so much for giving us a, a listen. We really enjoy the chance to get to share the personalities of some of the sport's biggest stars. So um, until next week, if you tell your friends to um, go to any of the Fox Sports social platforms, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And uh, we just appreciate you listening. So until next week, I'm Michael, and I'll see you soon.